You're listening to a Sin Media Podcast. Made by young people for young people. You're here on Sin listening to Sunday Sweets with myself, Alice, and I do have the pleasure of being joined by Jake Robertson to have a chat about Alien Nose Job's second record of the year, Once Again, The Present Becomes the Past. It is our local feature album of the week, and for good reason, we've got so much to talk about, Jake. But first, you are a bit of a local hero in the punk uh, music scene and community, being a member of many good bands your face right now you look very happy to be dubbed that. <laughs> i haven't even said hi to you <laughs> <laughs> i know just jumping straight in <laughs> compliments but because you are such a busy person you know uh involved in so many different projects i'm interested in what alien nose job as a project does mean to you and i guess how it began um so how it began was just i had so many demos for like the various bands that I play in and so many that didn't really fit into um, any of their kind of structures or anything. And I just kind of, I got a little bit fed up with, uh, you know, having to kind of pigeonhole into a certain genre or something, you know? So in the past, before I did Alien Nose Job, I would, um, just start a new band and make a new genre kind of thing. Um, And also that was a great way to, a great excuse to just hang out with friends and stuff as well. Um, Because every band that I play in is like filled with my best friends. So, Um, uh, but yeah, I guess this was like, I, I just bought a home recording setup and it was my, okay, I'm going to live like a cat life and not talk to anyone for a little while and, you know, sit in my room while licking various parts of my body and <laughs> um, <laughs> do, I don't know, trying to make a cat joke. Didn't work. <laughs> they, don't, they don't all land. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I don't know. It started out like that, like just kind of a, Hey, I should teach myself on how to use a tape machine and and um and also kind of getting into uh like the first release that I did it was um heavily influenced by uh Australian bands of the late seventies who would record and release all of their own material like a kind of d i y movement um which has been documented on a blog called wallaby beat if you if anyone wants to check it out um and well worth it's a good read but yeah that uh, the first couple of releases were like me trying to do that a little bit um and then for some reason i released a disco record i don't know why (laughs) once again the present becomes a past is is not a disco record at all it does reference the Darwin bombings in 1942 and I'm curious how that event and history inspires, inspired the record. Um, well, both my grandparents were uh, present there. Um, 
one, not one of them was at Darwin. The other one um, was, was uh, based in the uh, around Papua New Guinea around the time. But um, you know that uh, ha- having both of them tell stories when I was a kid was definitely uh, part of where the interest sparked. Also, just um, a lot of the bands that I was listening to when writing that uh, record were um, like a lot of European hardcore bands and who would sing about, you know, catastrophes like the, uh, just a lot of, a lot of the catastrophes in world war two and, and the things leading up to it and, and um, the aftermath of it. Uh, and also a lot of Japanese hardcore bands who, who would have like really confronting songs about um, Hiroshima and, you know, uh, the the horrible the horrible state of affairs after World War Two as well. Um, so, like, you know, in my mind, at the very very start, I was I was um, kind of doing a Australia's kind of had had a bit of a hit as well, but I don't know. It's definitely not a. I was very like aware, being like, oh, I really don't want to try and compare this, you know, like a or like glorify it or whatever. So I really hope it like, you know, anyone who actually listens to the lyrics or the, the songs or whatever, like will know that it's not a glorification of war, but like, you know, without hearing it, I'm like, Oh, I really hope people don't try and think I'm being like you. Like, Whoa. <laughs> but, um, um, I don't know. It, yeah, it started out kind of like that, like, uh, a, li- a little bit of like a a little bit of an interest and then when I got halfway through the writing of the album I kind of realized that like even though I'd I'd done some uh, a lot of quite a bit of research on the subject and I didn't know that much about it and I'm never gonna know that much about it so I kind of changed um, the subject matter to be more about how like uh history and in the case of the album generally like negative things constantly repeat themselves over and over again um and when you think you're out of just when you think you're out of it then you know you're kind of like thrown back in the deep end again talk a little bit about Air Raid on NT. Um, my favourite bit in the song is the doubling of the vocals on the words fire and dire about a quarter of the way through. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> it, it did get me thinking, though, about the recording process for the record. And I know, as you were saying before, Alien Nose Job is a project that prides itself on being very DIY. And I guess mm-hmm. because it is a one-person band a one-person project to what extent are the writing and recording processes then intertwined um so yeah pretty much with everything I record I have to like um or did the current setup I, I have and had with this record as well was like I would write it down on paper and make little like phone recordings and stuff and then like 
one, and then I would try and structure those little recordings and piece them all together into um, a demo, like a, a, a demo that I could like play back and be a complete song. And then I would recreate that as a computer MIDI demo with no vocals or anything and generally no um, drum beat or anything, just kind of like a thing that ACDC used to do I was um, they would, like every song that they recorded, they would do a version of just piano and like including like the vocal melody on one hand and then the chords on one hand. And if it was interesting enough, then they'd use it like that, you know, that would be good enough for them to record. Um, so I kind of like took a leaf out of their book. Is that saying page out of their book. I turned a new leaf out of their book. Um, <laughs> Um, and yeah, so, um, you know, that would be, so I would do like a, a, a third recording of it and then I would record a demo of it generally, um, like a digital demo of it. So like recording straight into a computer of everything complete. And then I'd listen to that for about a month to make sure that I didn't want to change. Like I'd make, you know, little notes and stuff. And then I would re-record everything. So essentially I'm recording, I record the album like three times, Mm. um, which is a huge pain in the neck. But, um, you know, there's like the other side of the coin would be I'd record it with a band and I'd have to teach everybody the songs for like six months. So it's kind of like same, same, really. The new record, as we were saying before, is a bit harder than previously released Alien Nose Job albums, but it is interspersed with total contradictions in the form of sonic interludes like Piano Interlude and The Day After. And I think, though they completely complement the overall theme uh, explored in the record, because it kind of, the change of pace feels as though you are taking a step back and reflecting on damage done or damage looming and they feel isolated and eerie and final and I guess I'm yeah wondering what inspired including such stark juxtapositions within the LP um so the the very first little kind of piano interlude bit that I did was inspired by this Japanese hardcore band called Gas um, they actually really they released an EP called The Day After which was um, uh, in 1984, which, which was like, um, well, one of the songs was called No More Hiroshima and it has like, you know, that's the theme kind of thing. Like it's really, really full on, but it, the very, the intro starts with a 10, 10 second little piano, um, theme. So I, and, and I always, it just was really melancholy, um, and so my idea, like name, I named one of the piano interludes the day after, kind of after that EP. Um, 
and it's kind of it's just this like vibe of um maybe living like after like life goes on after something horrible happens you know it's kind of it was meant to have like a uh, like a, a very melancholy, like remember back to days when the world wasn't on fire. Mutilated Turtles is one of the songs I deem more true to the hardcore style on the record. It's got some pretty wild guitar riffs in there, notably one at the very end. And I have in my notes that it sounds so stupid, but Jack Black in School of Rock would love that riff. <laughs> I'm embarrassed that I just said that, but I, I wrote it down, so I'm going to say it. <laughs> I- I should, um, you should say that loud enough for my partner to hear in the other, the other room. Yeah. <laughs> she just, I don't know if you could hear that. She just screams school of rock rules. Yeah. <laughs> I am curious how you work such intricate parts of your songs. Uh, I um, guess we kind of touched on it before, but how they are written. I don't really remember what I did. I, I think I just put on like, I, I generally have a rule where I'm, allowed to use three guitar pedals at once like you know I'm never I'm never gonna have like a pedal board or anything so I I generally like pick and choose before I do a uh, take and like with this record it would be like you know all the rhythm guitars would have the same three um, effects Uh, but for the lead I just I think I use three really stupid ones like um all kind of like modulated effects, uh, modular effects. So I really don't know. (laughs) I think I was just like farting about um, and I just, I didn't um, have the foresight to edit. It's uh, it's something that I'll probably listen back to and be like, why did I leave that in? (laughs) Now I was speaking not long ago to a couple of the vintage crop guys about finding your voice in punk. And I think it's a really interesting topic. Uh, and I was kind of talking to them about my own struggle with finding a convincing punk singing voice, keyword convincing, particularly because I come from a folk and pop background. And I confessed that the way I've practiced in the past is in the privacy and comfort of my own car, singing along to yeah. none other than Osmutant's Echo Beach cover, because I also love Martha and the Muffins. I sound terrible, but <laughs> hey, I mean, I, I clearly love Martha and the Muffins as well. Cause you know, <laughs> two of the same yeah. kind. I yeah. think you in particular though, do have a very distinctive voice, one that you can recognize in all of the bands that you play in. And I guess I'm interested in how you as an artist settled into punk, particularly in terms of vocals. Um, I guess the main thing would be, I didn't know what I was doing. So um, I, because I didn't know what I was doing, I just basically used my own voice, which is why it's, you know, I don't, I'd, I'd try <laughs> t- taking a, 
a page of a leaf of uh, Jason <laughs> Wally from Franzel Rom's book, <laughs> singing, singing uh, you know, and basically I was just trying to not sing in an American or an English accent um, or British accent, um, but also not be over the top ocker, like, you know, no, nothing against Cosmic Psychos or anything, but like those kind of, you know, those kind of bands where it's like, proud to be Aussie kind of, you know, trying not to do that as well. Um, and just, yeah, I guess the other thing is I, I, um, I recently did like a little uh, live video, which will come up soon um, in uh, maybe a month or something. But um, I had to relearn how to play a bunch of these songs. That's the other thing about doing it. One person band is once you record it, you don't ever play it again. Um, so I had to reteach myself everything and I got my mate Billy who does Annie Fade and he's in, um, Oz Mutants and stuff with us. Um, I got him to record it and I was, I was just like, I, I had no idea that I sing so high. Like I've got such a high pitched voice. I couldn't do it. <laughs> I think like, because I had to do one song after another, after another, after another, I was just like, lost my voice after the first song and yeah. So I think the other thing that in, in my, in my punk voice, um, no one can see the parent, the, the, the quotation marks <laughs> I'm doing with my hands. Um, the other thing is, yeah, I just, I, I subconsciously sing really high. Once again, the present becomes a past, your new one, of course, the one we're talking about. It made me miss live shows so much. And earlier this year, I did catch you at the curtain. You were playing your debut show with a band of other local legends. It was so good. Um, And given that you did hold off for so long playing as Alien Nose Job, had you planned on live shows becoming a more regular thing this year? Yeah, I didn't plan on live shows at all until just before that one. Um, I think Izzo, who uh, is is playing um, synth and guitar, and Blake, who plays bass, mentioned, just asked me in passing if I was ever going to do it live. And I was like, no. And then I think maybe like two or three days later, I asked him if they wanted to do it. Like I just kind of never really thought about it beforehand. And then like, and also Zoe who plays drums. um, I'd like, I'd met her several times, but like we never really hung out and stuff before Uh, picking three people to do, uh, to start this band with. I, I purposely, asked people who I knew but didn't know that well um, but got along with it like on at a beer garden or whatever um, and thought would be fun to be in a van with. Um, and so like if that, looking back on it, I think if that was my main, you know, criteria, like uh, you've got to, we've got to have, be able to have a laugh together and at a beer garden and sit in a van, then 
I reckon that I probably did have like play more gigs in my, you know, or like tour or whatever. But then I would always, whenever people would ask, I'd always say that I'd just do a couple of years. So I'm not really sure. Do you have anything currently in the works for Alien Nose Job or do you have anything coming up in the near future? Um, yeah, I've got, uh, I've got a seven inch that is like all finished and every, like it's all finished. Um, the artwork and the music and everything, but there's just like a huge backlog in the pressing plant. And also just every, like the record label that's going to do it, they're backed up a lot as well. So it probably won't come out until maybe February or something. And then uh, I'm just working on like a whole bunch of different songs um, for Nose Job and other bands that I play in and stuff. And I haven't really, there's nothing, it's all just done in pencil pretty much until the last minute. So um, I can't really, (laughs) I don't really know the answer, you know, but I'm always, every, every day I'm generally writing songs and stuff. So usually go to something or it will end up in the bin one of the two if you've not already done so be sure to check out alien nose jobs new record once again the present becomes the past thank you so much jake for chatting with me tonight it's been a pleasure hey thanks alice you've been listening to sweet talk a sin media podcast from the sunday sweets team you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at Sin Sunday Suites. You can also tune into the full radio broadcast of this show on Sundays at 5 pm via Sin 90.7 or stream online via iHeartRadio or Sin.org.au. Don't forget to subscribe for more episodes like this one.